Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 31 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, I have invited Caitlin Mabry to join me. Caitlin is the author of the children's book, Hi, it's me. I have ADHD, which is based on her personal history with ADHD. In her book, she shares the feelings, emotions, and experiences of a child dealing with the challenges of ADHD. She also offers them insights, tips, empowerment, and the message that ADHD does not define them. Caitlin has a master's degree in reading and is a certified early childhood special education teacher. She has four children and is now a private coach for kids that learn differently. And her goal is to instill the love of reading, learning, and growing in these kids. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you, Tracy. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, except there is something about, I don't know, there's certain words that I sometimes get stuck on. And it doesn't matter how much I prepare. It doesn't matter if I literally write out how you would phonetically say it. Then when I have to do it, I just get stuck. Because I focused on it too long. I do the same. No worries. You can relate. So most of you that are listening know that I have a 17-year-old son named Marcus who just loves every time I talk about him on this podcast or in the Facebook group, as you can imagine. Anyway, Marcus is really bright, but he's also really strong-willed. And my husband and I have tried just about everything. The problem with Marcus is he is consistently inconsistent. So... He has grades that shift back and forth from A's to C's and back to A's in the same subject often. And sometimes it's worse than C, but usually that's about the bottom. Last December, though, Marcus told me that he couldn't read. And I said, what do you mean you can't read? You mean you won't read like the typical thing a mother would say, right? And he looks at me and he says, no, mom, I can't read. There are so many small words on a page. I read them over and over again, and I don't have a clue when I'm done what I just read. Keep in mind, he's reading all the time. So, you know, when I see him, I mean, he's reading. I'm like, what do you mean you can't read? But he's reading what he's interested in. What he's supposed to read for school, of course, that's really different. So anyway, when he told me, Mom, I can't read, that's when I remembered that there was a reading specialist in our group. You all probably know that we have a Facebook group called ADHD for Smartass Women. And this is why our Facebook group is so great, because of all of these kinds of resources. So I called Caitlin, and what she told me was, 
Actually, he can read. He just can't focus on what he's reading. So in essence, it's pretty much the same as not being able to read because he can't retain what he reads when he's not interested. So as I mentioned, we've tried everything. And I have to say first that having you, Caitlin, work with Marcus was the best thing that we have ever done. He never complains. He loves you. And, you know, I'm reading a book called Learning How to Learn by Barbara Oakley, and she talks about how important it is to have a really good relationship with whomever it is that you're going to be working with as far as if it's an instructor or a professor and a sense of humor, you know, that you actually feel like not only are you heard, but, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. If someone is funny, I'm much more inclined to pay attention to what it is that they're saying. So he has learned so much about how he learns through you. And I want to talk about some of those strategies that you've used with him. But before I do that, I want you to tell us your story, because when I heard it, that's what actually really sold me on having you work with him. So would you mind just sharing something about your childhood and kind of your experiences with ADHD? Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. And I absolutely love working with Marcus, and I'm excited to share some of the things that we've been working on. He's grown so much, and it's been really fun to watch him grow and to build that relationship with him. That is a huge, huge piece. And that kind of takes me back to my childhood. When I was diagnosed at 10 years old, I remember thinking, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do things other kids can do? Why is reading so hard? And I just really battled through school a lot because I didn't understand my diagnosis at all. I didn't understand how my brain was working. I just felt frustrated in it and I felt captive by it. Can I ask you, Caitlin, what were your symptoms and when do you know when they started or maybe your mom knows when they started? So what made your parents even seek out a diagnosis? Well, funny story. My mom said she remembers her and my dad sitting on the couch and I would wake up from sleeping through the night and I would run into the bathroom and then I'd run into the kitchen and then I'd run back into the bedroom. And they're like, oh, poor thing. She can't help herself because <laughs> I just was so busy all the time. And that went for my talking, too. I would just talk, 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 talk. And my talking was very impulsive, and my working memory was a struggle. I know that terminology now, but at the time, I just felt very forgetful. I was, my mom said that she would have to write everything down for me. We would have to do make lots of lists and lots of reminders. And we had to put that in place both at home and at school for me to find success in those two environments. So yeah, there were those red flags. And it's interesting now as an adult learning more about it because I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, that's what that is. That's what <laughs> totally, you know, organization and just planning and structuring my days I had to be very strategic in order for me to succeed. So yeah. And then when I was in college, I remember it was so interesting because I always struggled in school. BC student, always a BC student. I would try and try and try. I would cry. You studied and you would still get B's and C's? Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I worked so hard and I just Aww. sometimes didn't understand concepts. I just my brain couldn't do it the way that they were asking me to do it, which is another thing I've learned through studying ADHD that if it was maybe presented to me in a different way, I might have been able to grasp it. But because I was forced to try to know it a certain way, I just wasn't getting it. And the interest wasn't there. So then that was on top of it, even more challenging. And so when I went to college, I have always loved children. And so I was like, you know what, I want to be an early childhood teacher. And I've always had a heart for children with special needs and having 
challenges of my own. I just had compassion towards children who struggled. So that's what made me choose, you know, early childhood special ed. And so that's kind of where the journey began learning more about it. And then it was so interesting, though, because BC student, and then once I got into that hyper focus of early childhood special ed, what I loved, Mm 4.0, nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so looking back, I mean, literally, I worked just as hard, but it was actually easier to earn the 4.0 because my gift came out, you know, my gift was revealed. You were working in your strengths. Exactly. I was finally working in my strength and I finally was discovering what my purpose was and what I was made to do. And so I was teaching in early childhood setting and I was presented with, do you want to go further and get your master's? And at first, my self-destructive side of me was like, I'm not smart enough to do that. I can't get my master's degree. That's crazy. You know, so even though you have a 4.0, for God's sake. Right, right. But still, I mean, that battle of the mind is still there. I feel like no matter how much accomplishment there is, there's still that battle in your mind. And so I was looking at master's degrees and I was like, reading specialist. I'm like, huh, that's funny because I couldn't, I can't stand reading. I couldn't stand reading. And then the more I looked into it and the more I thought about it and I was, I, all of a sudden it just triggered, something triggered inside of me. And I said, you know what? Reading specialist, I need to teach myself how to read. I want to become a reading specialist so I can learn how to be a better reader, and then I can help other children who are struggling in that area. A, I'll be set apart because I have this empathy that not a lot of people might have. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to grow in that area myself, you know? So I felt like it was just this aha moment in my life where I took a struggle and decided to turn it into a strength. So this is my question, though. How did you get your 4.0 when you still didn't really know how to read? Well, and I think it was because of, I think it became the hyper focus of interest came in. It was one subject that I was focused on. Okay. And it was an area that I was being challenged by, but I was determined to defeat, if that makes sense. (laughs) And I was craving that knowledge. Like I just wanted to know more. So it was really interesting because as I was going through my program, I was learning, literally teaching myself how to comprehend text in a whole different level. I mean, I can't even tell you how many aha moments I had in my master's program. Wow. So yeah, it was a cool experience. And it's been incredibly helpful when I do coach or tutor or whatever area I'm working with kids. When I say to them, when I was your age, I couldn't stand reading. The look on their face, it's almost like it's a look of relief. Like, oh, she gets it. She understands, you know, this newfound connection that we have. Going back to Marcus, like I'm very raw and real with him. And I think he really appreciates that. And, you know, I empathize with the struggle. And so then I think in return, there's that respect and that understanding of each other, you know, and totally because you've been there. You actually understand what's going on in his brain that he doesn't really trust other people understand. They tell him to do things, but he's like, well, you haven't had this struggle. So how would you even know? Correct. Right. Yeah. I definitely see that. So, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yes. 
I think so. Yeah. So that was my story in terms of my ADHD diagnosis through my struggle and defeating the struggle by getting my master's in reading. Yeah. So I have just had such an interesting journey from my diagnosis up and through getting my master's as a reading specialist because it's been definitely an up and down, sometimes an uphill battle, but also sometimes it's filled with lots of wonderful lessons learned and growth. And so I continue at 36 years old to learn and grow from my experiences with my ADHD symptoms. So right now I'm drinking coffee because that's one of the strategies I use to stay focused. And I did a workout this morning so I could be all geared up for our for our podcast today. <laughs> So <laughs> good. Well, I definitely do the exercise one, but coffee kind of sends me off the deep end. And I, we constantly hear that our brain handles caffeine differently. But for me, probably because I do have a bit of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it amps up the anxiety. I don't know. I wish coffee worked for me. It doesn't. It makes me feel terrible. Well, <laughs> but every I love person, it. Every person's so different. So, I mean, that's right. so important to know. Absolutely. Our brains are similar, but they're also very different. So, Every strategy and tool works different. Absolutely. Okay. So can we talk about some strategies as far as the strategies that you use for kids? And I'm sure adults can use these too, right? Absolutely. When it comes to reading and, you know, retaining what we're reading, you know, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Yes. It's interesting because I hear oftentimes when I work with kiddos from kindergarten all the way through high school that I feel like there's a set of strategies and tools that are given at school, but then it's kind of just left there and then expected to be utilized, but there's not a lot of follow up or follow through as they get older, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. I mean, they're just expected that this is the box, Mm -hmm. you fit into the learning box, and if you don't, oh well. Right. And another problem is they're taught something and they're expected to just know that from the research I've done, I mean, even some typical developing kids, sometimes it takes one, two, three, four, five times plus times of exposure to a certain topic to actually retain it. And sometimes it takes other ways of retaining it, whether it be kinesthetically, whether it be, you know, auditory, visual, whatever type of learner they are, it's important that you hit on those ways of learning so that they can retain what they're expected to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. So for instance, I work with this boy, he's going into second grade and he really struggled with reading. He was at below kindergarten level even in reading and just had basic sight words and just not a lot of reading strategies or comprehension strategies in his toolbox. But when I started working with him, he loved soccer. So what I did was I brought a soccer ball to our first session and we tapped out sounds and we kicked out words and we we used that soccer ball to practice the phonemic awareness and the strategies that he needed to work on. And it was amazing. I mean, the smile on his face and the joy going through doing that work that he's done in school, but struggled with. But now I put it in a way that work kind of put him in a position where he was in, right. It was an interest. The soccer was interest. And so he was doing something he was interested in while learning something that was kind of a struggle, but because it was made fun, he was retaining it a little bit faster. Exactly. So that's just a recent example. And I wonder too, was it also because and you may have just said this and I wasn't paying full attention, but that he was actually moving at the same time while he was learning. 
Absolutely. And that's the thing is I very much teach to the students needs. So if I see that they need to move, I will stop whatever I'm doing and we will turn it into a movement activity, whatever we're doing, Mm -hmm. because I know their body is saying I need to move and their brain is telling their body I need to move. So we need to listen to those cues and we need to act on it and that is when the learning is going to happen. Because I think what happens is, is when you're forced to be, okay, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. Well, then I know personally I shut down. And so I'm sure that's exactly what the kids are doing. They're shutting down. They're like, okay, well, then I'm not going to learn this because I need to be either moving around or I need to be visualizing or seeing it picture form. Well, and I think especially if you have an ADHD kid who, you know, they can be a little defiant. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're defiant. I mean, I think teachers look at them and say, oh my gosh, the kid is, you know, he's basically, you know, being a brat. And the reality of it is that kid knows I don't learn this way. This is how I learn. But they're constantly forced to learn in a way that they can't learn. I would get frustrated and defiant too. Absolutely. Very oftentimes they can't help themselves. Like they physically need to be moving. Right. So yeah, when you're forcing them to sit, they get defiant because their body is telling them something different, you know? So like you said, that's irritating. I would get irritated too. Totally. But one thing that we, I know you and I have talked about in the past and that I work a lot with Marcus on is the whole idea of metacognitive thinking while you're reading. And I think that is a huge thing that is lost in the school environment. I think sometimes they touch on it, but I think it's just so huge because I think it goes along just perfectly with getting to know our our ADHD brains, right? So what metacognition is, is thinking about your thinking. And it sounds kind of silly. Like it's, oh, okay, think about your thinking. Sounds kind of easy. But really, it's it's a very intentional thing that you need to train yourself to do. And there's different key phrases that you can use. I'm thinking, I'm noticing, I'm wondering, I'm seeing... You know, Caitlin, why is that so important? Is it because the ADHD brain, if you're doing something you're not interested in, you tend to be distracted. So physically you are reading, right. but mentally you're somewhere else. Like your brain is not focused on the reading. And so then like my son, you come back and say, I can't read. When the reality of it is, it was that he can't focus on what he's reading. So his brain is somewhere else, even though physically he's in front of the book. Correct. And that kind of goes along with, I really like this analogy of the voices. So we all have our inner voice, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's different types of inner voice. So there's the reciting inner voice, which is what you're talking about, how you literally are just looking at the words and you're reading them, but it's not going anywhere. You're just, that's about as deep as it goes, right? Just Mm -hmm. eye to paper. And then there's the conversational voice. And that's when you're digging a little bit deeper. You're starting to have a conversation with the text. And that's kind of where metacognition begins. And then there's the interactive voice. And that's even deeper. Like that's when you're really into the metacognitive state where you're engaging with the text and you're interactively able to ask and answer questions and make deeper connections and really almost feel like you're inside the text and understand content at a whole new level. And that's when the retention's there. And so how do you do that? Well, first of all, awareness is the first step, right? Being aware. So a lot of times, like with Marcus, I would have him read. We would talk about the inner voices. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to have you read 
for five minutes. And I want you to be aware of whether you are in reciting or conversational. And if you reach interactive voice, you know, so it's all about practice. Practice makes progress. You're going to get better the more you intentionally practice hearing that inner voice and identifying when it's there. And then here's the key. Then there's the distractive voice, which those of us with ADHD are very aware of. (laughs) That's, That's the key right there is being able to say, oh, my distracted voice has just been triggered, right? And now I need to get back to the conversational interactive voice. So Caitlin, can you explain the difference that I really understand what you're saying when it's just reciting, you know, that you're just reciting. Yep. You're not repeating anything. I'm having difficulty knowing the distinction between conversational and, did you say interactive? Interactive, yep. Yeah. What is the difference between those two? Okay, so conversational is when, so let's say you read, Bobby went to the store to meet Susie, right? Mm-hmm. And then you looked at that text and you're like, oh, I wonder why he's, Bobby's going to the store to meet Susie. And so why is he going to the store to meet Susie? You know what I mean? Like, that's just a very topical conversation. It, it's almost like, how's the weather today? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's a very surface level of reading, right? So you're kind of diving, like you're engaged a little more, but you're not quite all the way in it yet. So conversational is a good place to be, but an even better, more comprehensive place to be is interactive because that way you're actually like almost stepping into the text. So what would be going through your mind? What are you thinking if you're in interactive voice? Okay. So then Bobby's going to the store. You read Bobby's going to the store to meet Susie. Oh, I wonder what they're going to buy at the store. If I went to the store with Bobby, I would probably get, do you know, like then all of a sudden you're connecting to the characters and you're saying, I wonder, I notice, I think I can visualize like that's where the visualization is like, Oh, I can see myself meeting Susie Uh at the store. And then let's say the next sentence says, Susie wanted to get strawberry popsicles and Bobby wanted to get, you know, I'm, I'm just totally making something up on the top of my head. And then you say, I remember when I went with Billy last weekend to get to the store and we got popsicles, you know what I mean? Like, so now all of a sudden you're really engaging in what you're reading. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the middle one, which I can't remember, what was the name of the middle one? Conversation. Okay. So conversation is you're paying attention to what you're reading versus the third level, the interactive level, you are interacting with the story. Correct. It's more than just paying attention. Correct. I think I get it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're similar, but it's, I mean, like I said, the analogy of it's like you and I having a conversation and I say, Hey, Tracy, uh, what's the weather like in California? And you're like, Oh, it's cloudy what's the weather like in Wisconsin? And I'm like, oh, it's rainy, you know? And then, Uh but then that's conversational. We're having a conversation, but then all of a sudden we keep talking and we dive into interactive talking. And I say, oh my gosh, I went to the store and there was this crazy storm and I got, I got Mm -hmm. out of my car and I just got pelted with all these, (laughs) all this rain. You know what I mean? Like, and then you say, oh, I remember when when we had a storm like that, do you see what I mean? So like then all of a sudden we're connecting and yes. a deeper level and we're 
there's a deeper level of understanding. So when you are in that connection mode, your learning is, I don't know, it's just much better, much stronger. It is because, I mean, when you think about it in any relationship, right, we have relationships and the more we connect with each other, the deeper the understanding is of each other, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like having a relationship with a book. Like the, de- the deeper you connect with the text, the more understanding you're going to have of that text and then the more you're going to retain it, right? So like if we had a deeper conversation with each other, a more interactive um, rich conversation, I feel like that that would be more impactful and I would remember it more than if I talked to Susie at the store and we just talked about the weather. Does that make sense? Like it makes it makes total sense. Yeah. So is that then when you are reading, mm-hmm. that is the relationship that you are looking for with the characters in order to really learn and retain information. Correct. Okay. And then I wanted to share just a few, because some people will ask, well, how do I know if I'm hitting a distractive um, (laughs) voice turns on, right? Because ours does a lot. But here's a few points that might be helpful. So your inner voice inside your head, the conversation turns off. The camera inside your head shuts off. So that visualization goes away. Your mind begins to wander and you think about something else. <laughs> Sounds familiar, right? And you can't remember or retell what you've read. And you're not getting clarifying questions answered. And then the last mm-hmm. one is characters are reappearing in the text and you're not recalling who they are. <laughs> That's the story of my life. You know, right? But so, though, I mean, that is your distractive voice right there. You know, so yeah. when those red flags start happening, that's when you pause and you say, okay, I need to turn on my interactive voice. So it's very, it's a very intentional process that you have to put yourself through and practice in order to progress as a reader. And I would think that, I mean, you can use this for anything, not just reading. Absolutely. There's, I don't know, everybody loves those series. I, I can't even think of, uh, what, what, what's the one that I am totally like digressing here? The one that everybody's been watching, Game of Thrones, and then there was another one. All of those, like I, I'm sitting here and I'm never just watching them, right? I'm also reading, I'm, you know, scrolling, I'm doing all kinds of things. And then there'll be a character. I'm like, now who the hell is that? And my husband looks at me and that character has been there since the very beginning. Like I just cannot get into television, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. It's just not that interesting to me. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking I need to practice the interactive voice when I'm watching one of those uh, series. <laughs> I hear you. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay, so what other things? So we've got metacognition. What other workarounds um, work for reading? Okay, so metacognition is um, a big one. And then there's there's also the ones that kids do learn. I feel like they do learn them in school. They're summarizing and making predictions and questioning and visualizing. There's that those list of strategies that kids are introduced to, but... I, Oftentimes I hear from kids I work with, like I said, kindergarten through high school. Well, yeah, I learned that, but we never really practiced it. 
you know, like they, they practice it for a year or maybe two, and then all of a sudden it kind of fizzles out. And so then they're not continuing to practice those strategies as they get older. And then sometimes that's when the comprehension's lost. So um, what are the strategies? So there's, there's vi- the visualization is a huge one and questioning is a huge one. So visualization is, you know how I said when the camera turns off, mm-hmm. well, we need to get our camera turned on first. And that's, that's one of my favorite things to work on with kids is um, I'll have them read a text and then draw a picture of what they see in their mind. It's kind of fun and funny to see what they, they come up with. <laughs> From stick figures to very intricate drawings, I get. Because oftentimes when you think about it, when you read, you are just going through the motions and you're not taking time to pause and really visualize it. So I'll even have a kiddo I'm working with close their eyes and I'll read to them. And I'll say, okay, I want you to close your eyes and visualize what's going on in the con- in the text that I'm going to read to you. And so, again, it's just practice, practice doing that. And then there's questioning, which one thing that's really important to know when you're com- when you're teaching comprehension and practicing it is that a lot of times people just think, oh, well, you're supposed to ask questions while you read. Well, that's not even the most important part. The most important part is asking questions before you read to begin the engagement during is important. And then after Mm. to engage that comprehension. So questioning goes deeper than just asking some questions while you read. Um, So a lot of times I'll use post-it notes. I'll have kids write post-its out before they read, write a question. And then while they're reading, say, okay, has your question been answered yet? You know, and have them, that's what I was talking about with clarifying questions. So if they're not finding that clarifying question answered, their distraction voice just might be turned on. <laughs> and so, well, and there's a fine line, right? Because I would think, okay, you've got that distraction voice, uh-huh. which is, you know, prevalent in our ADHD brains, especially Absolutely. if we're reading something we're not interested in. Oh, gosh, and yeah. so you start visualizing, you start mm-hmm. asking questions, and pretty soon you're over there on the North 40. Right. <laughs> Or the book. Exactly. <laughs> and then, so you're, how writing, do you, then you're writing a, a grocery list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't write. Are you kidding me? I don't write grocery lists. I no, go to the store I and however it. I feel. <laughs> I write it and then I leave it on my counter. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Okay, so how do you how do you keep in that fine line and not go over it between, you know, you want to engage yourself, you want to interest yourself with what it is that you're doing, but you also don't want to go too far adrift and then you're into something else. Right. Well, and that's where practice and identification of inner voice is so important. I mean, it's just about, I mean, everything takes practice, right? And everything takes habit is everything we need to practice because can become a habit if we practice it enough. So the more that you can be aware of your inner voice and what's happening with it, like I said, once you see those red flags of distracted, your distraction voice turning mm-hmm. on, that's when you stop yourself and pause and re- stop reading. If we're talking just about reading right now, you just stop yourself from reading and say, okay, I need to get back on track before I keep reading. And I completely have no idea what I'm reading because my distraction <laughs> voice is completely taken over my brain. So it's just right. a matter of being aware of that and being aware okay. of those inner voices so that you can pause yourself and say, okay, I'm in distraction mode. 
I need to yeah. redirect myself back to that interactive voice. Um, totally. Cause it does, well, and I, I love, love that practice. The more I read, I'm re- there's this really good book. It's called, I read it, but I don't get it. Comprehension yeah. strategies for adolescent readers. Okay. Um, it's by Chris Tavani. And I absolutely love this book. It is just chock full of so many awesome strategies and it's very, it's an easy read. It's very, um, obviously, it's, and I have notes just all over it because it just has some great applicable strategies. Just talking about how kids decode without ever grasping meaning. And I think it just happens so often, you know, with mm-hmm. our kiddos that I think it's so important to address it so that it's not a struggle their whole life, you know. Absolutely. Okay. Any other strategies? There was something like specific to Marcus. Was there something that you realized that he was doing and he didn't even realize it? He seemed to just have a lot of aha moments where we would talk about something and he would be like, oh, yeah, that would be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that. I mean, even simply like the simple strategy of visualization. And he he really liked that one. He was like, I need to start doing that again because that's one of my favorite. So once... I almost reintroduced him to some things that he vaguely remembered, but just needed a refresher on. Then he was like, oh, yeah, that's helpful, you know. And I think one of your comments was as and I don't know if you said this to me directly or it was kind of through Marcus, that kids visualize a lot when they're little, Mm -hmm. but they stop visualizing. And so talk about I can't remember what you made him do but talk about that a little bit. You did something that really made a difference there. Well, so for him, I I think I mentioned it a little bit before how I I had him read something he was interested in. I really try to practice with I don't want kids to get to the frustration level when I work with them. I want them to feel confident and as they practice what because they already get to frustration level during school activities, you know, during other. So I try to challenge them, but also keep them at a level where they're being challenged, but comfortable, if that makes sense. Like they they still are enjoying what they're doing. And so I believe I had him read an article about um, skateboarding because that's what he was into. We We had talked about how he was, you know, really into his skateboarding again and trying new tricks. And, you know, he was really excited about that. And so we started reading that. And so then he, he read a how to do the certain trick that he was working on. He, I found an article. And so he, he read that and then he did almost like a graphic on it, like a visualization graphic on it. He was like, Oh yeah, now I can totally see, you know, how this trick's done. You know, like it was, it was a really it was really cool because it was a conversation we had just a side conversation. And then I tied it into reading and visualizing. Does that make sense? So I tried to just let it flow. And I think that's what's helpful with Marcus is he likes that. He likes when our conversation kind of flows into each other and he's learning and growing and learning comprehension strategies while also doing and learning about things he loves. Well, and it makes so much sense because I think, first of all, these tricks in skateboarding, from what I understand is they really are about repetition and practice, Mm -hmm. but also about just that one little tweak, something that you do differently. Mm -hmm. And I think so many athletes, right, they visualize their successes. So it really makes sense to me that, you know, that connection 
would work between visualization and reading. Yeah. And then there's this, I really like, can I read you this analogy? I think analogies are fun. Can I read this to you? I think this would be helpful. When I drive, I have a destination in mind. I'm very conscious of what is going on around me. I monitor my speed. I compare it with the posted limits. I know to slow down for speed traps and know I can exceed the speed limit without risking danger to myself or others. When a song comes on the radio I like, I turn it up. When a song comes on that I don't like, I change the station. I watch the gas and oil gauges to make sure that they're acceptable ranges. I look in the mirror so I know where the cars are around me. As long as I'm heading towards the destination, I keep driving. However, if I encounter difficulty, I stop and try to correct the problem. If I get a flat tire or I'm caught speeding, I can't keep driving unless I want to make the situation worse. Driving on a flat can bend the rim and foul up the alignment. Ignoring the flashing red lights of a patrol car can land me in jail. There are no two words around it. I can't keep going. I need to stop and plan what to do next. This plan doesn't need to be elaborate, but it does have to meet the demands of the situation. My thinking needs to be flexible. I might have to try a few different strategies before I find one that works. I have to do more than sit in my car and cry. Crying won't help me get back on the road. I need to weigh my options and decide which one will help me the most. If I want to fix a flat tire, the obvious choice would be to change it. Unfortunately, this won't work for me because I don't even know where the spare is, let alone the circular wrench that gets the tire off the car. Changing the tire isn't the plan that will help me, but I can't just sit there. I need to try something else. So this is an analogy that I thought was awesome with reading. So a reader's ultimate purpose is to gain meaning. In order to do this, a reader must monitor their comprehension. And when meaning breaks down, they need to repair it. Mm -hmm. So I just loved, I love analogies. And so I thought that was a really cool analogy with a car because it's true. Like we can't just sit there and do nothing. We have to do something to repair understanding and comprehension. Or just keep reading because I'm supposed to read a hundred pages tonight and you just keep reading, but you're not retaining any of it. Exactly. Exactly. So But I just love that, like monitoring comprehension using fix-up strategies is like driving. Right. Absolutely. And and like you said, it starts with awareness. Right. If you are aware that you're off track, and then I always, I love the power of the pause when it comes to the ADHD brain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we can just sort of pause and then regroup and be aware of the fact that, you know what? I was not going in the right direction because I don't have a clue what the hell I just read. Exactly. Exactly. I know. I feel like it's a good analogy for ADHD life right there. <laughs> like exactly. we need to sit and cry. We need to figure out a new strategy to get to the destination that we need to get to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So any other strategies or do you think well, that... There's, um, there's, I mean, there there are so... I'm, I could probably go on and on about it, about background knowledge is another big one that was helpful to Marcus and I think is helpful to others. I think we forget to activate our background knowledge. And what that means is, so taking the content that you're supposed to be reading about and activating what you already know about that content, you know, and so you, you do that before you start. Correct. Uh-huh. And so that's the thing is I feel like oftentimes, I mean, and I, I'm totally guilty of this too. I just kind of dive into what I'm reading, right? I, mm-hmm. You want to get it over with. Exactly. But I'm doing myself a disservice because if I s- just took a step back and I looked at the title and I said, oh, I, I'm trying to think of a title, planting a garden. I don't know. I'm making something up. And then I say, oh, 
I just planted some plants last weekend and I, you know, so activating what I already know about the content or even saying, oh, I read a book that told me this about planting a garden. Does that make sense? So just activating what you already know puts sets you up to dive into the text with more knowledge and more engagement. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, because you're really conscious, right, yeah, of right. what it is that you are going to do and how it affects your life thus far. Absolutely. And just sharing real, real world reasons for reading is important too, just to give the reading purpose. I talked a lot about that with Marcus too. Like oftentimes I feel like we feel like there's no purpose for reading, right? Especially things we're forced to read. But if you're intentional about looking at it from a real world standpoint and how you can connect it to that and create purpose, that's helpful when diving into the comprehensive part of reading too. I'm sure he loved that. I mean, that's just a big deal for him. If he doesn't understand why he needs to do something, he just physically cannot do it. He won't do it. You've got to always connect it with something that has meaning to him, even if it's, it's, you know, he's not interested in it, but there's always a connection somehow, I believe. That was an aha moment for him, I remember, because we were talking about purpose and he was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't understand. I don't really need to read. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he was talking about being a rapper and talking <laughs> about recording and talking about, and I said, well, you know what, buddy? I'm like in any business you get into, whether it be rapping, whatever area you choose to dive into in terms of your profession, you're, you need to be thinking about your thinking, right? Like you need to be mm-hmm. activating your background knowledge on the subject at hand. You need to be like, these are all strategies that you're going to need for your future profession. And I think that was an aha moment for him. Just identifying the fact that, you know, there is purpose in reading, in practicing these strategies so that when you do apply them to your future profession, you've mastered them. I love that. Okay, Caitlin, thank you so much for all of this. We are kind of bumping up against time. But before we go, I would love to know what you're working on. Can you tell us? And can you also tell us where people can find you if they want more information about you? Yes, absolutely. So during my college years, I was in a class and I wrote a book titled, Hi, It's Me. I have ADHD. It was for a course. And I'll never forget. It was fantastic. The woman that was my professor, she also had ADHD. And I'll never forget, she ran down, we were in this big auditorium setting, and she ran down the aisle and she's, when I presented it, she said, you need to publish this book. And I was like, what? So my insecure side of me sat on it for a while. And 10 years later, I said to my husband, I said, you know what, honey, I'm sick of sitting on this, but wanting to do it. I'm sick of not going through with this process of publishing just out of fear and anxiety and the unknown. I'm like, I really feel like this is what I need to do. And he was completely supportive. And so actually about 18 months ago, I published the first edition of Hi, It's Me. I have ADHD, but I also birthed the baby 18 months ago. So let's just say it's been quite a little ride since I first (laughs) published the book. But the beauty of it is I've heard some incredible stories that have come out of this book publication, which is why I wrote it. I wrote it to impact the lives of 
kids with ADHD so that they don't feel alone in their diagnosis. Because as a child, I felt so alone and I didn't understand how I was thinking and feeling. And so my hopes and for this book is to help others dive into the mind and emotions of a child with ADHD so that they better understand it and that the child doesn't feel alone in it. And so I had a few hiccups with the first publisher, some dishonesty. I felt kind of, there's just some things I found out. And so I decided to republish the book and even make it better. And so that's where I'm at now. I'm working on the second edition and I'm going to be adding coloring pages for people to be able to print out and kind of a comprehensive follow-up to the book where it's going to say, how are you feeling? And there's going to be a blank face, like a face that they can draw out. And then there's going to be blank lines underneath for journaling opportunities. And I updated the tips and I actually added at the beginning, um, I'll give you a little insider scoop. So before it said, after the acronym, It said, I know these sound like great big words, but really they just describe my feelings. I took that content out and now it's going to say, I think of it as A stands for adventurous, D stands for determined, H stands for hyper-focus, and D stands for dreamer. I love that. (laughs) It does kind of go towards the positive, but I wanted it just to change the mindset right away in in the book. So I love it. So yeah, um, you can, I'll be launching it in October. Oh, I was just going to ask. Okay. So it'll be available in October. Mm -hmm. And I will have pre-sales if, if listeners would like to learn more about it or, you know, see updates, they can sign up for subscribe to my email list. And that is on my website, www.caitlinmabry.com. And Anything you need to know is on there. I'm going to be putting continually updating my website also. But if they want to get connected with me and get on the list, if they would like to order the first edition for half off, they can also do the email subscription and I'll have that offer on there. So, so yeah, I would love the support and I'm excited for the relaunch. So is it still on Amazon? Well, it it is until it's not. So there, I think there was only seven copies left when I saw it last because I canceled with the first publisher. So now there's kind of a a waiting period. So whatever was Amazon had bought from my first publisher, those are available. But once those are gone, it's not going to be available for a period of time. Okay. And but I do have a stash available that I can mail out. So that's what I'm saying will be half off if people are interested in just getting the first edition of it. Okay. That sounds great. I wanted to read to you just a few pages so you could get a little preview. Oh, that would be great. Of the rhythm of the book. So sometimes my feelings go up and down. That's when my head spins round and round. Sometimes I think real fast, then I think real slow. I feel like at times I'm just going to blow. Sometimes I feel happy. Sometimes I feel sad. Sometimes I feel jumpy. At times I feel mad. Then I'm going to skip to the end because one of my favorite pages is, sometimes my mind is busy with ideas, thoughts, and things. That's the gift of being creative for when I spread my wings. Oh my gosh. I love that you mentioned creativity. Uh, I don't think there's anything else out there for ADHD kids. So I just... I love it. Caitlin, thank you so much for spending time with us today, 
sharing information about how our ADHD brains can read better. Was that proper grammar, how they can read better? (laughs) Well, oh my gosh. Anyway, (laughs) thank you again so much. It was a pleasure. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you've been listening to me for a while, I would really appreciate a review. It's not hard to do. You don't even have to write anything. If you're on the iTunes podcast platform, just scroll down to the bottom and click on the stars. That is all you have to do. If you'd like to know more about me, our patent pending cartography system that teaches you how to figure out which of the many interests you have is the one you should pursue, Or if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com, click on podcast in the navigation bar. You're going to see a microphone to your right where you can leave me an audio message. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.